It's an interesting world that we bring kids into, isn't it? I, I think about that a lot as I begin to, or as, as we're raising our kids and as they get a little older and we're interacting with, with things about life and things they see on the news and things they hear. And especially the last couple of weeks have been just really challenging news-wise and a number of things that don't make a lot of sense that we don't completely understand. Even this morning we, we hear of more rocket attacks into Israel. And we, we see things escalating there as troops are on the border of the Gaza Strip. And it seems like there's no way out of that. And I find myself wondering what's going to happen. What are the ramifications across the whole Middle East? What are the ramifications to the U.S. and security and to our Israel trip coming up? Which will be fine. It'll all be taken care of by then. <laughs> but we don't know. And then in the news, we've also seen the whole Benghazi story and, and so many different stories coming out and contradictory reports. And, and that's something that we look at all the information and we're like, we don't know. We don't know what really happened. I don't know that we ever will know. And we look at the stock market the last couple of weeks and we're like, okay, when's the bottom going to stop? Uh, when is it going to stop falling? For some of our hockey fans, we wonder if they'll ever play hockey again with the, the lockout. <laughs> If you're not a hockey fan, there's a strike and a lockout and the season's almost canceled. Or is it canceled now or pretty much? There are so many things we don't know and we will never know. And we find ourselves getting caught up into them, don't we? And we start to worry and we start to wonder and, and, and it can keep us up at night. This morning we want to talk about knowledge. And we start with the, the idea that we will never know. And that's okay. It's okay that we will never know because we know the one who does. And so this morning as we look at the attributes of God, we come to His omniscience or that He is all knowledge, that He is all wise. And we'll look at omniscience and wisdom at the same time. And that is in comparison to our feeble minds and, and that, that try to understand things and think we know things, but in the end we know just a sliver, just a sliver. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that if a man were to start reading the books in the British Library on the day he was born and read day and night for 70 years without taking time to eat or sleep, he would only be able to read a small sections of the book, section of the books in that collection. That's just that collection. That's, that collection is a sliver of knowledge. And so if someone just filled their mind with knowledge their entire life, they could only have a sliver of knowledge. But there is one who knows all. There is one who knows all. So as we come to the attributes of God, we've been looking at the attributes of His greatness. And, and every week, it feels like we are so incapable of understanding it, isn't it? That, that we can't understand how great God is and how immense He is and how powerful He is and how, how um, transcendent He is above all things and how majestic He is. But that's a little bit of what the attributes of His greatness are therefore to remind ourselves of the greatness of God. So we come to omniscience. And in your, your um, notes there, we have a definition of omniscient. And the word omniscient comes from two words, omni meaning all, and science meaning knowledge. And so all knowledge is what omniscient means. And our definition of this attribute is God has perfect and infinite knowledge and understanding of all things, actual and possible, past, present, and future, in one eternal act. 
He is perfectly acquainted with every detail of life. Now you may read that, that definition and think, okay, I'm not really sure what you're saying there. And so what we're going to do is, as we explore omniscience, we're going to break down that definition into its parts because each of those words is, is vital to understanding who God is. I'll read the definition one more time. God has perfect and infinite knowledge and understanding of all things actual and possible, past, present, and future in one eternal act. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail of life. His intellectual capabilities are limitless. They are infinite. And so this is an attribute of His greatness. As we explore at the first point there is God has perfect and infinite knowledge of all things. God has perfect and infinite knowledge of all things. And when we say perfect, that word is often used not only of, of without error, but complete. And so we're saying that God has complete knowledge of all things, of everything that ever has been and ever will be, and that knowledge has no limitations. Turn with me to Psalm 147. Look at a couple verses from this chapter. And again, we have a variety of verses we'll be going to. Some we'll turn to. Some I'll share with you. But Psalm 147, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's some Bibles under the chairs that you're welcome to pull one out and um, to, to look up the passages with us. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. His understanding or His knowledge is beyond measure. And, and the idea of beyond measure is that it's infinite. It has no limit. We cannot measure it. We cannot find an ending to His knowledge. And so we see that God has infinite knowledge. He knows all things that can be known. In John 21:17, and I'll read this to you, the, the scene is on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and this is after the resurrection, and, and John, or, or Peter rather, is, is being approached by Jesus and being restored after the denials. And you remember the story where, where Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? He goes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? The third time we pick up verse 17, the third point, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And that phrase, you know everything, Peter's finally getting it. He, he's finally getting it. And the disciples had a journey of understanding who Jesus was. And, and this is part of that journey for Peter. And, and he, he makes a proclamation, Lord, You know everything. So for us, as we understand God's omniscience, it starts with that He has perfect and infinite knowledge. In this case, that knowledge was of Peter, of his heart. He wasn't asking, do you love me? Because he was questioning whether or not Peter loved him. He was asking to probe and to to have Peter understand his love. Jesus understood it. He knows all things. But he's drawing out for his purposes, Peter's commitment to God. 1 John 3.20 says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Isn't there a great comfort that he knows everything? 
He knows every current event, every event we just talked about. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows everything that is happening. Nothing is out of His sight. And there's comfort in that because we worry when we're, we, things are out of control, when we don't know things, when there's uncertainty. But there is never uncertainty with God. There is never uncertainty with God. When we think of the extent of His knowledge, Psalm 147.4, you're already there. Right, the verse right before the one we read, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. That is incredible knowledge. Let me just ask a question. Do you think there's anyone in here that knows the name of every person in this room? Joshua thinks he does. Good job. <laughs> 200 people. And, and we, I, would, I would struggle to remember everyone's name every week. I've, I've met everyone, but how do you remember all those names? I, I struggle to remember my name some mornings. But this says that God knows the names of every star. An Australian study a few years ago put the number of stars we see at 70,000 million, million, million. Or the number 70 followed by 22 zeros. It's a huge number. Do you get the vastness of the number of stars? And God says, I know their names. I can remember the name of every one of them. In fact, I put them into place. We'll talk about omnipotence next week. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. He knows His creation even though we see it as vast and amazing, it's just part of His knowledge. God has perfect and infinite knowledge of all things. Isaiah 40, 13. Turn over just a couple of books. Isaiah 40, verse 13. Another verse that lets us know the extent of His knowledge, especially compared to us. Isaiah 40, verse 13. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? And, and the, God is saying, okay, who, who's able to teach me? Who's able to counsel me? Who's able to measure me? Because I have no limits. Verse 14. Whom did He consult? And who made Him understand? Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? And in Isaiah here, we see that God knows all things, but nobody can teach Him anything. Because if His knowledge is perfect, if His knowledge is complete, does He need to learn anything? No. There's nothing He can learn. In fact, if God did need to learn something tomorrow, this is an argument we've used on a number of His attributes, if He did need to learn something tomorrow, what does that say about His knowledge today? It's imperfect. It's not complete. And I sure hope that part that's not complete isn't dealing with my future. But it's complete. No one can teach God anything. We try. We try. We try to explain to God what He should do, how He should act. But praise God, His ways are higher than our ways. So much greater than anything we can even comprehend. When Isaac Newton was a, an old man, someone said to him, 
Dr. Newton, you must have a tremendous store of knowledge. Here he responded. I remind myself of a little boy walking along the seashore picking up shells. The boy has a handful of shells in his little hand, but all around him is the vast seashore stretching all directions as far as the eye can see. All I know is I simply have a handful of seashells, but the vast universe of God is filled with knowledge that I do not possess. And what he was expressing is the vastness of God's knowledge as being the unending seashore and the amount that we comprehend is like holding a few shells in our hand. And praise God, He has all knowledge. Praise God, we can go to Him and our life isn't, isn't defined by what we have in our hand. But it's defined by what He has in His hand and how He directs. So God has perfect and infinite knowledge of all things. Point number two, God also perfectly knows the past and the future. We know that He knows all things now, but He also perfectly knows the past and the future. He does not forget anything. He does not have any senior moments. He remembers all things. There's times I I get up from my office and get up from my desk and I walk out to the, the front office and I stand there and, and look at one of the ladies that are sitting there. They're like, yeah? I don't remember. <laughs> I go back to my desk and sit down. And, and, you know, as soon as you sit down, you remember, right? Get back up, walk out there, go to my box and, and stand there. And, and God has no moments like that. He perfectly remembers the past. He perfectly knows the future. Some may say, well, what about, what about the past? If he perfectly knows it, what do you do with a verse like Isaiah 40, 25, which says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. And sometimes we think of this as well, well, God doesn't remember things. He forgets. No, God knows all things. He, he is omniscient. Nothing leaves his mind. But that word for remember also in, in the Hebrew means I I will not bring it to mind. I won't bring it up. There's a difference in your home, for instance, if, if, if you, if you and your wife or you and your husband have an issue and an argument and it's resolved and it's forgiven, yes, you still can remember it, but boy, it's different if you keep bringing it up, isn't it? And that promise is that God won't remember it. He won't keep bringing it up. He won't hold it against us because it has been covered by His blood on the cross. So He never lets the knowledge of those sins play a part in how He relates to us once we have repented and confessed and come to Him and accepted Christ as our Savior. Praise God. God perfectly knows the past. He perfectly knows the future. Just think of the bulk of prophecy in God's Word that in every case it has come true. In Isaiah 46, verse 10, says he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. And Isaiah there is proclaiming that he sees the beginning, he sees the end, he sees all of time, and he knows what's not yet done and he has known it from all eternity. That includes Christ's sacrifice, His death, His resurrection. In Acts 2.23 as the apostles are preaching it, they say, this Jesus, 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that God knew you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so even the death and resurrection of Christ, the payment for our sins, God knew and prophesied. And that hasn't changed. He still knows every event that has happened, that is happening, and ever will happen. Third, God perfectly knows the possible. God perfectly knows the possible. And this one stretches our brains a little bit. We know that He knows the present and we know that He knows what's actually happening. But He also has knowledge, sometimes called middle knowledge, of what could happen. He, he would know how, what, what someone's life would end up being had they lived. He would know an event if things were different, how they would occur. Matthew 11 is a great example of that. We, we have a couple of examples of, of this in Scripture. Matthew 11, verse 21. If you want to turn there, that'd be great. Matthew eleven twenty one. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. And Jesus here, he, He's not using hyperbole here. He's not, he's not lying to them because He is truth. And we'll get to that attribute. He is truth. Everything He says is always true. But he knows the possibilities. He knows what would have happened if the same miracles had been done, if Jesus had showed up in those towns and the same message was preached. We see that in the Old Testament with David and in and, and 1 Samuel. And the, the men of Cala are coming to, to attack. And um, actually, he, he's staying there. Some others are coming to attack. And he's talking to God. And he says, okay... If I stay, what's going to happen? And God says, they're going to give you up. They're going to, they're going to save their own lives and say, here's David. Have a nice day. Leave, please. Don't kill, don't kill my kids. Don't kill my wife. And so David left before they came. And it was an example of God's perfect knowledge that not only knows the actual, but knows all things possible. That's important. That's important to our ability to trust Him. It's important to our ability to understand that He is all-wise and we'll get there, but all-wise meaning He always chooses the perfect option. God perfectly knows the possible. We can never know for certainty the possible, but God can. Fourth point of exploring omniscience, God's knowledge is best understood as one eternal act. God's knowledge is best understood as one eternal act. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the idea is that He never gains knowledge at one time, at one instance, that spans all of eternity, He knows all things. So He never has to gain it. For instance, it says that He knows the hair on our heads and He knows the sand on the seashore. If He wants to figure out today, well, how much sand is on Huntington Beach? He doesn't have to count. Even if he doesn't really, he, he knows it. 
So it's one instance. It's not something that his knowledge is progressive. It is immediate, not sequential. He knows all of history, all of the future at once. Foreknowledge isn't foreknowledge to him. It's knowledge. Because he knows all things at one time. So God, God's knowledge is, a, is best understood as one eternal act. All of the verses that, that talk about his, his infinity of knowledge and the eternality of God contribute to that. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We see again not only God's knowledge of the future, but that He has all that knowledge from old. It is always with Him. And finally, point number five, He knows us perfectly and personally. He knows us perfectly and personally. And this is where we begin to understand just how deep His knowledge is and how precious it is. Turn to Psalm 139. Key passage on omniscience, especially in regards to ourselves. Psalm 139. We'll start reading at verse 1. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. And we see here that God knows even our mundane activities. The psalmist is saying, whether I'm even sitting or standing up, You know it. You know me that well. We see the psalmist saying He knows our thoughts. And we could dig into that for a while. But if God's knowledge is perfect, then He not only knows what we do, but He knows what we think. He knows who we are. You discern my thoughts from afar, meaning from a distance in time, from, from not from all time. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down. Some of your translations say you search out my, my rising up and my lying down. And, and it's a, a, a figure of speech for when I get up in the morning to when I go to bed at night. You search it out. You know everything. You know everything. You know everything about my life. You know me better than I know myself. You are acquainted with all my ways, all my motives, all my thoughts, all my intentions. Verse 4, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all together. Before we say anything, the things that we're okay with saying, the things that we regret saying, God knows it. He knows our thoughts behind it. He knows that we would say that. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Speaking of we can't get away from Him, He knows us so completely. That, that is something the psalmist here is struggling with a little bit. Because if He knows everything about me, if He knows every thought and every action, every word before I say it, that means He knows the sin that's there. He knows my struggles. But then verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Wonderful meaning majestic, extraordinary, surpassing. God knows you. 
He knows me. And the amazing thing is, is that even when He knows us, and He knows us so well, and He knows our failures, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the fact that He would know me so completely, and before I even turned to Him, choose to go to the cross, that I could repent and have forgiveness for sins, shows the depth of His love, the depth of His grace, the depth of His mercy. He knows us perfectly and personally. Everything about us, every hair on our head, every hidden thing. In Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from His sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. And so we come to God's understanding of us. We come to His omniscience of of creation of all things, but of you and me. And it brings on one hand just gratitude as we come into Thanksgiving. Incredible gratitude that He knows me so well and offers me salvation. But it also carries with it a warning that He knows me. He knows everything I do. Everything I think. And He will hold me accountable for that. God is omniscient. God is omniscient. The next attribute we want to talk about really flows from omniscience and it's a, it's a part of omniscience. And so I wanted to handle them together because everything we've talked about omniscience applies to wisdom. Because wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is God taking His omniscience, taking His knowledge and putting it into practice in perfect ways. The definition we have there is God always chooses the best and perfect ends and accomplishes them by the best and perfect means for the right reason, God's glory. For the right reason, God's glory. That means God in His omniscience, in, in, in His perfect knowledge, can understand all things and then picks the best goals, the best ends that bring Him glory and chooses the best means to do that. And because He has all knowledge, there are no better ways. There are no better ways than what God chooses. He is all wise. It's always for the highest good, His glory. We struggle with this. We struggle with with wisdom and wanting to do our own thing and thinking really we're just too big for our britches because we want what's good for us. We don't really care about the, the common good of His glory. We, we ultimately want what's good for us, don't we? As much as we try to act outside of ourselves, there's always a sliver that is still worried about number one. But God alone is all wise. And so we explore wisdom. Four points there. The first, God alone is infinitely wise, which we've, we've talked about. God alone is infinitely wise. I love how Paul ends Romans, Romans 16, 27. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. To the only wise God, there is no one else that's infinitely wise. There is no one else that has all knowledge and the ability to apply that. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Romans eleven thirty three. 
a verse that we've used a lot in the attributes of God. A marvelous verse that brings us to an awe of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. We can't comprehend them, but they're amazing and beautiful and deep. And so we worship Him. God alone is infinitely wise. Number two, He alone makes decisions based on all the facts. He alone makes decisions based on all the facts. And this comes back to omniscience and the whole discussion of that attribute. He alone has perfect and infinite knowledge, just like we talked about. And so He alone makes decisions based on that. Have you, have you ever made decisions based on, on false information? I know no one here ever has. No, we, we do, and, and sometimes we get upset about false information. And, and how many arguments are because of miscommunication? Because we're assuming something that isn't true. God never assumes something that isn't true. He has all knowledge. And so He alone is able to apply all knowledge. I have a couple of pictures here that are just sort of fun that, that illustrate um, knowledge and, and different perspectives when we have limited knowledge. What do you see? I know a bunch of people answered, and I heard um, a, a businessman falling, right? Tripped, probably over a curb or a rock or something. And so we'd, we'd be like, oh, okay, the guy's a little bit of a klutz, but um, okay. But what if we had a little bit more information? Would it change our assessment of the situation? Does it change things? Now what's the story? Can you tell? He was pushed. Now, we're still sympathetic for the guy that fell, but what are you feeling now? The other guy's a jerk. A little bit of anger. Okay, and so we, we act on that because maybe that's our, our, our sphere of understanding. Now, I would argue the first picture is, is our sphere of understanding. And then as we pursue God's wisdom, maybe it expands. But what if this was God's picture? Now, what are you feeling about the guy that you're angry with? He's a hero. Just having a little bit more knowledge changed your perception of the whole event. So is it important that God is omniscient and knows all things when we consider that He's wise and wants to give us instruction? Do you see how important it is? But yet we go all kinds of other places and we go to self-help books and we, we try to resolve things on our own and we try to do anything we can except going to God. And God's saying, I see the piano falling. You don't. So why aren't you trusting me? Why won't you believe me in Scripture when I say, don't steal, don't be greedy, do not be unequally yoked? Why won't you believe me? That's the piano that's falling. I know all things. And we fight it because we want to be wise. And we want to have knowledge. But God alone is omniscient. And God alone is all-wise. He has access to all information. So His judgments are wise. Two other points of God's wisdom. God's wisdom is shown in creation. Remember, wisdom is, is, is His application of His knowledge. His ability to, for the best ends, choose the best ends for His glory through the best means for His glory. 
And so we come to creation. Psalm 104, 24. A number of things out of Psalm 104 today. Love for you to go and read that throughout the week. But Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Proverbs 3.19 The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding He established the heavens. Jeremiah 10.12 We could go on and on and on with creation and how it shows us wisdom. It is He who made the earth by His power who established the world by His wisdom and by His understanding stretched out the heavens. God created the world and creation before the fall in a state that so exhibited His wisdom and so exhibited His glory. Now we've tainted it with sin and we've tainted it with the fall and it is, it is not an accurate reflection of who He is now. But just think about that. Wisdom is the application of knowledge and applying it in a correct and best way. Creation shows that every moment of the every day. I don't know, but today the moon hasn't crashed into the earth. Yesterday we were going around the sun and today we still are. And we're at the perfect distance to sustain life. And we have so many different things that we can point to that if, if creation was not created in perfect wisdom, it would fall apart. It would fall apart. And there's so many explanations trying to explain it away. And and quite frankly, if you look at the science of it, it's ridiculous. Because the only thing that can hold the universe together and that can hold the earth together and keep it together is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so God says, creation shows my wisdom. It shows that I have perfect knowledge and enabled to construct something that's just a construct for him because he's outside of the spatial dimension, outside of time as we've talked about. I can construct this and it, and it works. It functions. And fourthly, the most important aspect of his wisdom. God's wisdom is shown in salvation through Christ. God's wisdom is shown in salvation through Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. And this is another passage I would encourage you to read throughout the week. I've tried to put a number of passages in your notes beyond even what we're able to talk about on Sunday morning to give some study material. Enjoy those. Dig into God's Word. Explore these attributes. But in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. And and Paul here is, is... comparing the world's wisdom and what the world thinks of as wise and what God thinks of as wise. I'm going to jump back to verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, our own wisdom doesn't get us to God, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God. And we get just a taste of how great His wisdom is in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
So even if we, we took the least that God knows, which is infinite, he's using an illustration, an argument that they would understand, but he's infinite, and even if we took the foolishness of what he knows, it is so vast that it's greater than the greatest of what we know. But the key there is that Christ, through wisdom, brings salvation. Through the wisdom of God. And it doesn't make sense to the world. To the world, if someone offends us, if if they deserve retribution, what do we do? We give them retribution. They need to learn their lesson. They need to pay. We think that especially on the freeways. But God in His wisdom in something that we can't understand says, because of my infinite love, because of my infinite grace, because of my infinite justice, I will send my Son, Jesus Christ, to take your place. Because without Him, you have no hope. You have no hope of salvation. There's no way we can pay for our own sins. There's no way we could ever do enough penance or have enough retribution to pay for our own sins. And so God in wisdom that we can't understand sent His Son to say, believe on Me and you will be saved. Believe that I died on the cross in your place. Trust me in my wisdom with your life and you will be saved. And it sounds too too simple because we want to pay something. But it's the offer of salvation that God in His wisdom gives us through Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never trusted Him because of His sacrifice on the cross, today's the day. Today's the day to say, I've been trying to accomplish things by my own knowledge, by my own wisdom, and it's not working. I need the wisdom of God that only comes through the work of His his Son on the cross. That's where you're at. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to one of the elders. Don't let today go by without dealing with who God is and what He's done. I want to end with just some of the application, some of our response to these attributes of His his omniscience, of His wisdom. And, And with wisdom, we come to the first of His attributes that we've talked to that He can pass part of it on to us. He can't pass omnipresence to us. I I will never be in two places at once as much as I I want to. But He can pass wisdom onto us. We can emulate part of His wisdom through what He gives us. And that's called a communicable attribute. He He can transfer it to us. He can pass it on to us. So how do we gain wisdom? Daniel says He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And four things that I want to end with that I challenge you to do this week to seek God's wisdom, to seek understanding. The first, practice reverencing God this week. Practice reverencing God this week. Learn to be in awe of God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It starts with understanding who God is, with being in awe of Him. It's why we're doing a series on the attributes of God. Because I'm hoping it blows our mind that we are in awe of God and amazed at who God is. And we have a fear of God that brings us to His feet to serve and worship and to hear His wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Remember, if, if, if He's the, the keeper of all knowledge, if He contains all knowledge, where's the blessed place to go for wisdom? Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes sense. If, if you're raising children and, and you want to know about parenting, do, do you go to someone whose kids are, are who knows what? You go to someone that you've seen practice it. Well, in this case, God contains all wisdom. So He's the beginning of wisdom. Practice reverencing God this week. This is the first response to humility and worship. Remembering that He is great, He is omni, and we are not. Will Rogers said, everybody is ignorant, only in different subjects. Reminding ourselves that none of us know everything. Only God. Second point there, which, which seems obvious, but I think it's one that we struggle with. Ask God for wisdom. He is the source of understanding. Ask God for wisdom. Why is it so hard to ask? Especially men with directions. We know. My wife was great this week. Um, she needed something from, from the grocery store, a thing of milk. It was a store I hadn't been in yet. And she said, will you get me a, a gallon of milk? I said, sure, I'd love to stop by and do that. She goes, do you want me to tell you where it is? Or do you want me to let you hunt? I'm like, let me hunt. <laughs> yeah. And I found the milk. Yeah. I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to know. But, but we carry, in that case, it's fine. It's sort of fun. But we carry that over to God and we're afraid to ask because we might show weakness. He knows we're weak. He knows all things. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But we've got to go and ask. We've got to seek Him. Third point there, by application, immerse yourself in God's Word. How do we ask? How do we hear God's wisdom? Through His Word. His divine revelation of His wisdom. See, if God is omniscient, and this is God's message to us, then we should have an incredibly high view of God's Word. Because this then contains the only source of true wisdom. Study it. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The word of God dwelling in you allows us to teach and admonish with wisdom. It comes from God's word. Sometimes people will come talk to me about different issues and different problems and usually one of my first questions is, is, are you reading God's Word? Are you in the Word? Because I, I've got to tell, tell us as a church, if we're struggling with understanding God's wisdom, looking for what His, His will is, and, and trying to figure out life, if we're not in God's Word, we are not seeking the true source of wisdom. And there's nothing anyone can do for you. And you might, I don't know, some may say, well, you're a pastor. You have to say that. You have to say the Bible's the answer. It is. Because it's God's wisdom. Immerse yourself in it. Study it. 
When times get tough, study it more. When you don't know what God's will is, study it more. Deeply and richly. And if you're not, don't be surprised if God doesn't reveal wisdom to you. That's how important His Word is. And finally, the fourth application. Ask God to reveal sin in our lives. Ask God to reveal sin in our lives. Sin is blinding. Sin sin is deceiving. When we have sin in our lives, that sin, Satan will do everything he can to keep it hidden, to keep us from seeing it, right? And so we come to God, and if He is omniscient, and He is, and He has all wisdom, then we ask Him to reveal the sin instead of ourselves. At the end of Psalm 139 passage, we looked at the first six verses of this week. Last week, we looked at the next, at 7 through 12, a passage that talks about how great God is, His knowledge of us, His presence with us. At the end of that passage, the psalmist writes this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in everlasting. And the psalmist says, He is great, I am not. And so God, You show me what I have to change. You show me if there's sin in my life, if there's pride in my life that has to be stamped out. I cannot know that by myself. And it may be one of the scariest, most troubling things you do to come to God tonight on your knees and say, God, You are the owner of all wisdom and knowledge. Show me what I need to work on. Show me my sin. Because when you come with that heart, He will. But the result is an ability to repent and confess and enter into beautiful relationship to experience His presence in a whole new way. God is omniscient and all-wise. This week, practice reverencing in Him. Read the Psalms. Review the attributes of God. Ask God for wisdom. Don't be afraid to go to Him. Immerse yourself in the study of God's Word. Don't ignore the source of wisdom. And ask God to reveal sin, anything in your life that's keeping you from His wisdom. Let's pray. Lord God, the only omniscient One, the only all-wise One, Lord, we are humbled before Your knowledge. We are humbled before Your presence before Your wisdom. Thank You for Your knowledge of us that would send Your Son in spite of our own sin because of Your grace and mercy. So Lord, I pray that we would seek You. That You would reveal sin in our lives and that we could deal with it and be clean. That You would reveal Your ways to us through Your Word. Lord, may we be a people that recognizes I do not have wisdom, but God does. I don't know what's going to happen, but God does, and that's all I need. And may we follow your direction. We praise you and worship you, God Almighty. In Jesus' name, amen.